Well, hello, everyone. This is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky, hidden somewhere within the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us for this special Thanksgiving week podcast. And I'm so delighted to have one of my dearest friends and colleagues in ministry joining us for the discussion today, Brad Maston from Fort Collins Bible Church and Fort Collins Bible Seminary. Is that right, Brad? Bible College. Bible College. That's right. Sorry. I should know that by now, but my <laughs> brain is kind of fried from getting to have all these great discussions with you guys. But Brad's with us today. I'll I'll bring him on uh, again here in a moment. Uh, we're going to talk about, can we trust the Bible we hold in our hands? And uh, just really uh, love talking with him about all things theological and uh, biblical. Um, great man of God, great pastor, great father and husband, and and, and just a great friend. So uh, really appreciate him being on the program. Uh, a couple of quick announcements as we look at this uh, Thanksgiving uh, week. Uh, first of all, want to put in a, a plug for Plum Creek Chapel. You know, most of you know I'm the teaching pastor at Plum Creek Chapel, but I don't really uh, highlight it as much as I should. So if you're in the Denver metro area, uh, feel free to join us for worship on Sundays at uh, 8.30 and 10. And by the way, if you're a couple hours north of us up in Fort Collins or even as far away as Cheyenne, I encourage you to go to Fort Collins Bible Church, another uh, solid church where uh, Brad uh, is the pastor there. But uh, yeah, Plum Creek Chapel, we do live stream our second service. So if you're listening to this from outside the Denver metro area, uh, we invite you to join us by live stream. Just go to notbyworks.org and click on the live stream button on Sundays at 10 o'clock Mountain Time. Uh, you can also get to us from the church website at plumcreekchapel.org. Uh, um, we've had some great guests on uh, all month long, and uh, Thanksgiving week is uh, no exception. Uh, we've got uh, my technologist friend Shane will be on talking about his technology out of control. Uh, I'm going to have a first-time guest, another pastor friend of mine, Paul Van Noy from up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, joining us uh, uh, to talk about a grateful heart and what Thanksgiving really is all about from a biblical worldview. And we've got some other podcasts to post, Amando Gonzalez, Dr. Thomas Ice has been on uh, this month, Dr. Nathan Jones from Lamb and Lion Ministries, lots of great guests, all of it giving you the opportunity to just uh, set your mind on things above and dive into the Word of God and think about what's going on in this world from a biblical lens. But before I bring uh, my good friend Brad Maston on, let me uh, talk about uh, what we're going to talk about today, and that is, can we trust the Bible we hold in our hands? And so I thought of Psalm 119, verse 105. Uh, even if you may not know the reference, you'll certainly uh, remember this verse, or it'll sound familiar to you. Um, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is, is powerful, and it truly is a roadmap uh, to see us uh, through all of the pitfalls and uh, problems of life, and God's word, you know, is sufficient for us. It's given us; He's given us everything we need for life and godliness in His word. Uh, and I was trying to think of an illustration. You know, the other day I was out working on my my snowplow. I have a four wheeler ATV with a plow that I use to plow our property. And you know, with winter upon us, in fact, we had a, a storm uh, early on, uh, end of October. Um, I wanted to make sure it was ready, uh, like I do every year. And so I realized I needed to replace the battery. And so I ordered a battery, and the battery came in. 
And I went to install it, and you know, you'd think, uh, Brad, installing a battery on an ATV or any vehicle would be pretty simple. But if if it's possible to make it complicated, I can usually find a way to do that, and that's what happened here. And I was sitting there trying to figure out, you know, what order to put the different washers and nuts and things on to attach this thing to the cables, and unfortunately, it didn't come with any directions. And I remember thinking, because I was out in my, you know, out away from the house at the uh, barn area and i thought man i wish the guy who had assembled or packaged this uh new battery in the box had either put some simple instructions or even better i wish he was right here i wish he'd left his cell number so i could call him and say hey just a quick question i know it's probably a stupid question but am i doing this right you know how, how what's the best way to do this i mean i'd be ashamed if i installed the battery and went to start it and the thing blew up you know besides you know the injury to me i would be down one snowplow which is no fun uh but uh he wasn't there and you know god's word is is kind of like that it's a manual for life and he's given it to us we hold it in our hands and it's readily available no matter what questions we have about this old sin-stricken world and navigating through it, family questions, uh, biblical questions, spiritual questions, just uh, the ebb and flow of life. We can go to Him anytime, 24-7, and find the answer through His revealed Word. And so, uh, obviously, I think our listeners know the answer uh, to the question, can we trust the Bible we hold in our hands? But rather than turn this into a one-word podcast, yes, with an exclamation <laughs> point, uh, let's uh, talk about why we can trust the Word of God. So, Brad, thanks so much for being on the program. Uh, love you, my friend. Uh, and you can also go ahead and give us uh, any uh, websites or ways that folks uh, can reach out to you. And then let's talk about the value of the Word of God. Well, JB, thanks for having me on. You know, it's just such a delight to get to share any any time that I get to to drink up your wisdom and and just enjoy the 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 blessing of your fellowship. Um, if people are interested in Fort Collins Bible College, you can come to FC Bible College. That's FC Bible College dot com, and you can apply for free to either take some classes, a single class, or uh, begin to take things with our entire. Um, Curriculum. We've got. We're, we're right now is offering an associates and moving towards offering a bachelor's in um, biblical studies. Uh, so that's certainly available to you. Also, I'm a part of a uh, a small part of a new publishing endeavor called True Grace Books, and we're releasing a new Christmas devotional. It's a 25-day Christmas devotional called Caroling to Christmas, and it focuses on those great Christmas carols of the past, you know, uh, come now long expected Jesus and angels we have heard on high and joy to the world, but with authors like Jeremy Thomas and Robbie Dean and uh, just a good handful of other beloved authors of our friend circle, yours and mine, uh, that that will really help keep Christ at the center of your Christmas season. Uh, so if you'd like to buy that, that is available on Amazon.com or at TrueGraceBooks.com. So, yeah, tell me, uh, I wanted to mention that because I saw the uh, the blurb come through and I thought, man, what a great uh, book. I was on the road and so I didn't take the time to order it but what's the title of the book again it's um caroling to christmas caroling to christmas and uh, it was edited by 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 myself and a friend and ministry partner e dane rogers who also teaches at the bible college um it has uh, contributions by clay ward and jeremy thomas uh j morgan arnold paul miles jacob heaton tom stiegel just uh, just a wonderful 
wow. swath of our guys. Daniel Woodhead, a friend and mentor to me, Dave Roseland. I mean, just really oh. good folks. So, um, yeah, I mean, what a power pack lineup. I know almost all of those guys very well. And, uh, Man, that's a must-have. Be a great thing for folks to get as a Christmas gift to give away. It's going to be solid, uh, grace-based, uh, clear on the gospel, clear on any uh, eschatological implications and end-time stuff. And uh, so, yeah, highly recommend that. Uh, you can get it from TrueGraceBooks.com. You said. Yes. Or again, you can go right onto Amazon and get Caroling to Christmas edited by Bradley W. Master and E. Dane Rogers or any of those uh, aforementioned authors and uh, quite a handful more. So uh, we highly recommend it. As you said, it's a great way to share the gospel this time of year when you're handing out your kind of early Christmas gifts at the end of the uh, Thanksgiving season or maybe even at Thanksgiving, you hand them out to family members. Uh, the gospel is written clearly on each page. As you said, it, it, it straightens out a lot of the eschatological confusion that, that confuses the first and second coming, which is really a, a historical trait of the Advent season. It was always designed both to look forward to and celebrating the uh, first coming, but also look forward to the second coming and, and the ultimate consummation of all God's, God's promises to us in Jesus Christ. So um, I highly recommend it anyway. It's about 125 pages. Each devotion is between a page or three. So you're thinking about just a, a really not a, a huge commitment, but an incredible blessing to to celebrate this entire Christmas season. So Caroling to Christmas. Love it. And then uh you mentioned Fort Collins Bible uh college, fcbiblecollege.com. And then of course the church is Fort Collins Bible Church.org. Am I right? Uh dot com. Oh, it's dot com also. Okay. Yes. I think okay. we do. Um and then if you're looking to pick up our weekly messages, we tend to um, post them on Bradley W. Maston's YouTube channel. So search YouTube for Bradley W. Maston, and you'll find uh, that our messages come up, not just mine, but all the messages from the teachers at Fort Collins Bible College. And our highest viewed uh, ones are always those wherein we've had J.B. Hickson come and teach. So um, you can find all that great content there on um, on that YouTube channel. But they, in spite of that, they should still go, in spite of the fact that you've had Hickson on there, they should still go. <laughs> so, yeah, you're lucky I didn't get you kicked off. I have a way of doing that to a lot of people, get YouTube to shut their channel down after I've been on it, but that's all um, right. That'd be a badge of honor, though. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> at this point, at this Amen. point in the world. <laughs> so we're talking about, uh, you know, the trustworthiness of, of God's Word, and uh uh, I know that uh, you and I are in lockstep theologically because we both teach and serve in various capacities uh, at the highest levels in some cases of, of adjuncting, and, and you're also president of Fort Collins Bible College. And uh, so, but let's kind of bring this down to kind of the, you know, like we're we're feeding sheep, not giraffes, if you know what I mean. Uh, so why can folks, uh, you know, why can folks trust the Bible? And you've got a great outline here um, that uh, you've uh, kind of adapted from Lewis Perry Chafer's My Major Bible Themes. That's the second time that book's come up on our podcast in the last couple of weeks. It's a uh, one of the best books that ought to be in everybody's library, Major Bible Themes by Lewis Perry Chafer. Um, but yeah, I'll just kind of yield the mic and you fire away. You know, I was so excited that you were you were as excited to talk about this as I am, because especially within the context of and and 
I think it was only a week ago that you had that excellent interview talking about how do we evaluate sources? You know, we look around and, and uh, someone has mentioned that this is going to be the AI election, right? This new election season is going to be shaped by the popular use of artificial intelligence more than any other. Now, whether that'll really manipulate any outcomes truly is immaterial uh, for the point that we now cannot believe what we see. You could easily see a picture, right, of of my face and my voice putting forth things that I would never say or never want to say, but such the computer, you know, the the AI ability is there to where, you know, you could have uh, basically put turn any person into um, sort of a, a marionette or a marionette or a ventriloquist dummy to say whatever you want, and so <clears throat> that means that, and we found this right out through the the whole COVID fiasco, right, is that if we were trusting the so-called trusted sources and the experts, they were surely leading us directly into danger, I mean, into re- truly uh, dangerous decisions. So all of these things happening around us caused us, I think, to very much question, and I think the danger is, is that we fall into that horrifying postmodernism that the world's in. I guess we just can't know anything. I just can't. We just can't possibly know it's true. And this is interesting because we finally got to the place where there can be no bones about it. The only thing you can trust is the word of God. Mm. You can't trust your eyes. You can't trust your ears. You can trust the word of God. And as long as you're checking things against the word of God, we can start to see how all of this makes sense, right? We're, we're not as uh, we're not as blind as we would be apart from that one essential kind of tuning fork to the key of truth. Yeah. So I love Proverbs 30, verse 5. I'm sure it'll probably come up uh, uh, possibly in, in some of the citations you're going to talk about. But, you know, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. And, uh, yeah, that's a great point. It's getting harder and harder to distinguish reality from uh, fiction. But uh, the word of God is that that true north, that rock on which we stand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that it is important because many of the things that folks find most objectionable in what we see going on in the world are the things that are affirmed most clearly in the Word of God. So, uh, you know, they there is sort of a, a voice going around that says, oh, just ignore all that. Ignore what's going on in the world. Ignore what's discomforting or, or, or in any way seems fantastic and simply focus on, you know, the here and now of the faith. And I'm all for focusing on the here and now of the faith and our uh, our simple devotion, our ability to serve our brothers and sisters and build up our church bodies and families and all of that uh, is grand, but there's also a very high need for the church to have our eyes wide open and recognizing, I don't believe that there's an Antichrist coming because of the things in the world that show how possible the Antichrist is coming. I believe the Antichrist is coming because the Word of God says the Antichrist is coming, and that's what enables us to see how the system and the the you know the one world government is moving closer to occurring we go yeah that's in line with what the word of god is saying so uh, the order of operations on that well a lot of people will go the other way and see the things that are going on and go this something's not right and that might lead them hopefully to the word of god uh, it's far more uh, effective in terms of our epistemology to say what does the word of god say and does does it anticipate these things that we see? And we say, yes, it does. Yeah. So, Yeah, the church has a long history, sadly, of reversing that order uh, to its detriment. When we 
you know, we've got to start with the Bible and say, what does the Bible say, rather than start with science or culture, like you talked about great analogy with uh, the COVID, if we learn anything from that, it's that science is bought and paid for and can't be trusted uh, unilaterally. Um, but yeah, I mean, we saw this with uh, the age of the earth and, and Darwinian uh, theology, you know, folks were influenced by science into thinking the earth is millions and billions of years old, then with that presupposition, they come to the Bible and try to force fit that uh, into the Bible, and that never ends well. So I like what you said. It's, you know, we believe what we believe because the Bible says so. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Then with that lens, you know, if things are happening in the culture that validate uh, the Scripture, hey, that's just a way of God's, you know, showing uh, uh, how things are falling into place and, and doing what Jesus said to do in Matthew 16, which is look at the signs of the times. Mm. And again, I just always hope to to bring this forth is that, you know, we don't dwell on these things, hopefully we don't dwell on them, but we don't mention them and focus on them and studying them because of the discomfort they bring, but because of the comfort they bring, the comfort that says that the same uh same God that gave us the same Bible that promises these uh, future and end times events is the same one that guaranteed our salvation at the cross of Jesus Christ. So we know that we we get extra reason, we might say, to trust in our salvation in Jesus Christ. And I think that's why it's valuable to go over the evidence for the Bible and evidence that the Bible is trustworthy, uh, because it's easy for us to make a faith assertion for one reason or the other, uh, that I, I believe the Word of God. But I think that in practicality, as we study out why we trust the Word of God, it gives us all the more interest and understanding that all the answers, as you pointed out, are in here. This is the instruction booklet. And if you believe that the instruction booklet you know, of your, of your lawnmower or your, your uh, snowplow was written by an idiot, then you might not reference it. But if you trust in the character of the one who gave us this book, the the <laughs> the God of the universe, the God of all creation, then we will take it more seriously, apply it correctly, and uh, be prepared to minister in this part of the great conflict that he's placed us, rather than maybe pining away and wishing for another time. I mean, praise the Lord, we'll also, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, get to minister in the millennial kingdom of Christ and rule and reign with him, and that'll be a whole new part of our ministry. But right now, we need to uh, act in accord with what the Bible has revealed for us today to know. Amen. Amen. So what are some foundational uh, theological uh, principles that, that speak to the issue of the trustworthiness of God's, of God's Word? Well, you know, you brought up that great point that everyone should have a copy of Major Bible Themes by uh, Chafer and Walvert. It's such a wonderful, or 52 Major Bible Themes, just a great uh, explanation or introduction and at anyone's level uh, to come in and dig deeper in your understanding of theology. And I think it's maybe worth a brief mention to say that systematic theology is not some magical or mystical art form. It is simply taking our understanding and our exegesis of the individual passages and then piling up all the information information on one specific topic. So this topic that we're talking about is bibliology, and um, Lewis Berry Chafer started off by uh, evaluating the evidence for the trustworthiness of the Bible in terms of its internal evidence and its external evidence. 
And so the internal evidence is the part that uh, oftentimes people, because they don't really have an understanding of logic and critical of thinking, say that uh, think of as being circular or self-defeating, that the, the fact that the Bible claims to be the word of God, therefore somehow invalidates its claim, right? Because it's a it sounds circular to them. But that is really a, a perverse way of thinking about the argument. The real argument would be that it would could not be the word of God if it didn't claim to be the word of God, right? Right? It must be the authors who wrote it, those, those authors who wrote those 40 some authors wrote these 66 books of our inspired scripture knew that they were writing uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They knew they were delivering something uh, that was unlike any other book, a book that would be living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I mean, this is a very special, special piece of of what God has given humanity to know him. Uh, and it makes me think of uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. It says, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Um, so I, I love these verses. In fact, just right after the Shema, the, the famous prayer of defining prayer of the faith of Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Um, but again, goes on to point out that God has chosen to reveal himself through the word and expects us to teach it to our children to make it a con a subject of conversation in our day-to-day -day lives. There's nothing wrong with doing uh, formalized devotions, but really the word of God should conduct or, or should affect our speech and our families and our relationships all the time. Uh, and even these ideas of binding them on hand and eye, I think, have um, a greater meaning of understanding that the word of God controls what we do with our hands and what we see with our eyes, not as an allegory, but as a meaning for those traditions that were started. And writing them on the doorposts of the house, again, pointing out that we dwell, we truly dwell in the uh, within the context and confines of the protection of the word of God. So it's always been a powerful passage to talk about the importance of the word and the life of faith, even though this is, of course, written to Israel. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just reading in uh, November seventh. Uh, I mean, in Proverbs seven, because today's November the seventh. We re we pre-record these, as as most folks know, and uh, you know, it, it talks about right there in verse three: bind them on your finger, you know, keep my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your hearts. And I didn't know we were going to go to uh, the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy six, but. Uh, that's exactly what they would do. They would take that passage, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8, and they would uh, put it in the phylacteries, those uh, little cases that they would carry around their neck, or the mezuzahs on the doorposts and so forth. Uh, and it's just a reminder. Uh, you know, it was a figure of speech originally, right? It was it was intended to just demonstrate the, the priority of the Word of God in their life. But they took it literally, and, and to this day, you'll still come across uh, Orthodox Jews and even Christians who— you know, symbolically will put scripture on their doorpost and and so forth as a reminder of the centrality of the word of God in their lives. So yeah, I absolutely love it. Mm, yeah. It's fantastic. Well, and it again kind of moves forward to this picture of how God wants us to regard and use his word when we look at Joshua 1.8. Of course, a very well-known verse, uh, God speaking to Joshua prior to his taking up the task of leading Israel in that military victory over the land of Canaan. Uh, he says, this book of the law 
has uh, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, and you shall observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will have good success. Have mm -hmm. I not commanded you? Be strong, have good courage, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Sorry, jumped into verse nine as well there. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, this picture of it's not as if the word of the Lord is some sort of magical lucky charm or some some sort of mystical, you know, like, oh, just by reading it. You'll... No, he's meant to think about it, chew on it, meditate on it day and night in order to be the leader that God wanted him to be and observe all that it was to do. Now, we, of course, as New Testament believers, as Christians, are not under the same relationship to those five books of Moses that Joshua was and that the children of Israel were. In fact, we are uh, not under law, as Paul says in Romans 6, but under grace. Nevertheless, I think that we have a really important thing to learn from how God expected the Old Testament saints to be so obsessed and possessed by the constant reading and consideration and meditation upon the Word of God. Mm. Mm. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. It's, it's, it's really exciting. So we could go through, you know, really dozens and uh, dozens of verses that state this, that state about the reliability of God, about the supernatural character of the word of God. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least, uh, you know, spend a moment looking at Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17 uh, as being one of the quintessential passages that talks about the character of uh, the word of God. So I will... Pull that one up right. Yeah, Paul's there. last letter that he wrote, one of the most important things that, you know, Second Timothy, I, I love because it always, in my mind, answers the question, what was so important in the mind of God that he chose to reveal it last through the Apostle Paul? And in other words, this prolific writer of Scripture, carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote 13 epistles, possibly 14 if he wrote Hebrews, and yet you know, this was his final one, uh, unless possibly Hebrews might have been later. But, uh, you know, what was it that was so important that that he had to leave Timothy and by extension the church with? Mm. And, and here is part of that closing message. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for cor correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here, this picture of all scripture is actually just all writing, all graphe. And we know contextually, that it doesn't mean just every word that's ever written. He must be confining his conversation down to those specific scriptures, those specific writings that were given by the Holy Spirit of God and recognized by the church as, as being of that character, quality, and source. Um, but they're given by this Theopneustos is the Greek word. This, as you well know, this exhaling. God exhales out. He breathes out the word of God, which means that between those two covers that we just asked this question, can we trust the Bible in your hand? God so identifies that as if he breathed it out himself, right? Mm. It's a very close and intimate identification as how uh, great a sense of responsibility that God is taking over this this message and uh, thus how important it is for us to know it because it's there for our teaching that doctrine what we should know what we should believe our reproof uh, that shows us where we're out of line corrects us bringing us back into line and our continuing and continuing instruction and righteousness um so i guess before we leave the the idea of the internal evidence for the bible which i hope is 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 very clear to all of our listeners do you have any other 
thoughts to add on that? Yeah, I was just going to just reiterate what you said about that inspiration. You know, some English translations actually translate it "God breathed" or "breathed out," mm-hmm. as you said. And uh, but what's fascinating to me is is the two verses right before that, right? So we we know um, a lot of Christians know Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, which you just read. But Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and he says to Timothy in verse fourteen. Uh, uh, you, that's singular, you, Timothy, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known what the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith who is in Christ Jesus. So elsewhere, Paul had written in his magnum opus, uh, you know, some 10 years earlier in Rome uh, to the Romans, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the scriptures uh, you know, they're either, you know, true or they're not, and they claim to be true. And anybody who's come to faith knows that it's the convicting work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God that says, you're a sinner who needs a Savior. Only Jesus can save you. He died and rose again for your sins, paid your personal penalty on the cross, defeated death, hell, and the grave when he rose from the dead, and then he has the power to forgive sin and give you life. Uh, life is in his hands. He purchased life with his own blood. And so it was those very scriptures that led Timothy to salvation, uh, you know, as Paul would preach the gospel. And what does Paul say at the beginning of Romans? You know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it. So uh, Timothy was one of those who believed the gospel, experienced the power of the gospel, and became born again. And then Paul says, but you need to continue in that right? The same Word of God that saves you when you believe it is going to sustain you and uh, and, and help you navigate uh, this uh, world. You know, I've often pointed out that in, in 16 and 17, the passage you just talked about, uh, it tells us that it's profitable for four things, you know, to doctrine, which is what we're supposed to believe, reproof, which is what we're not supposed to believe, uh, <laughs> instruction or training in righteousness, which is how we're supposed to behave, and correction, which is how we're not supposed to behave. So when you boil down life, you know, knowing what to believe and what not to believe and how to behave and how not to behave pretty much gives you all you need to know, doesn't it? <laughs> That's the full instruction booklet. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. So yeah, continue. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, if we were to depart somewhat hastily, it would be wonderful to look up, you know, all these verses, but uh, there's just so much that we have the privilege of discussing is looking at the external evidence for the Bible, which uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's external to the text, but just not from the text itself, more observations about it. So the first thing that uh, I believe uh, Chafer brings up is the continuity of the Bible. As I mentioned before, this is 40 different authors over uh, 1,400, 1,500 years, right? This is a long time and a lot of different people and a lot of different cultures. And yet the Bible maintains an absolute and uncontradicted continuity moving on through. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not Bible difficulties. There certainly are. In fact, we go through a lot of our lives as as Bible teachers and pastors, helping people work through and working through ourselves the difficult uh, challenges of Bible continuity. But even those show that there's no conspiracy here in uh, the assembly of these many different books from many different authors from many different walks of life that maintain a consistent story, a consistent uh, 
revelation about the character, person, and plan of God. And that is clearly of supernatural or divine character. It's not something that any person, nation, or club could have pulled off in all of you know human history, even with the best of circumstances. Yeah, no, and we have, you know, the testimony of that throughout history. For example, mm-hmm. you know, you look at some of the great Greek philosophers from a few centuries before the time of Christ and even, you know, in the time of Christ and shortly after, and we have literally a handful of extant manuscripts, you know, uh, in in our possession that we've uncovered. By comparison, we have thousands of copies of the New Testament. Uh, it just shows you there's something special about it that, that the doctrine of of preservation and and that uh, you know God's word is endures and endures the the test of time uh, mm-hmm. the trials of of life people have tried to destroy it they've tried to wipe it off the face of the earth and and yet it stands the test of time but it also that continuity is critical you look at other religious books like the Quran, for example, it's full of self-contradictions. And they were even, even at that, they were written by one man. Oh, <laughs> one yeah. guy sat down and penned it, supposedly under demonic, you know, uh, guidance from an angel. And and yet it's even at that, it's got problems. The Bible was written by 40 different human authors over a span of 1,500 years from three different continents in three different original languages. And yet it is stunning. And, and as you said, the only... The only way you can explain such stunning continuity is supernaturally. That's right. Well, and you know, it's I I love big sprawling fantasy books that you know cover you know volumes and volumes and volumes. And and generally speaking, they're written by one author. And even then, you find little contradictions, little things that they forgot, little loopholes in their argument. Right. So like you know, reading through maybe Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, and you find well, why didn't they use the eagles to do that? Right. There's just always those little <laughs> maybe he didn't think about this type of things. And you know what? The chances are they didn't. Why? Because yeah. it's one human author. And yet when we we look at the 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 amazing task that is accomplished, the feat that is accomplished in the Word of God. Uh, yeah, you're just... you're a prolific author yourself, and I'm sure you've are at the point as I am now too, where I've written enough that I am starting to see some contradictions. Every now and then, someone <laughs> will point out, you know, back in 2008 when you wrote this book, you said this, and now in 2016 you wrote this and you said this is a little different. How do you explain that? And I go, well. <laughs> Either A, I've refined or changed my view over time, which is what theology is all about. You continue to study, and if I come to a new conclusion based on the testimony of Scripture, I'm not afraid to correct my view, or I made a mistake. I mean, I'm not I'm not perfect, right? I'm not infallible. Uh, I know that comes as a shock to you, Brad, but— No, no, it's absolutely a part of it, especially when you put something to print, right? It's really a commit to that in, in a way that is different. But like you, I have no shame at all in saying, I actually, you know, I wrote one of those things in 99 and another one in two. 2008, but now I believe something slightly different. You yeah, know, like still, still believe something different. Right. Yeah, no, so. <laughs> my favorite mistake, I've mentioned this before, but my eschatology text, What Lies Ahead, I don't even remember when it came out, I want to say uh, 2013 or 14, something like that. Anyway, my famous favorite mistake in, in there was when I was talking about the bowl judgments, and I called them the bowel judgments. I had a, oh a stray E in that word bowl. And so <laughs> so uh, the bowel judgments are not eschatological. It may feel like it sometimes, <laughs> what you just ate. But no, I was meant to talk about the bold judgments. Bold judgments. Very different. <laughs> yeah, typo can really catch you. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, 
So then the, that kind of brings us to that next point, uh, that the extent of biblical revelation is also something that shows its divine inspiration or its supernatural character. The Bible talks about things, events, people of history that are constantly being confirmed. I mean, with every turn of the uh, archaeologist spade, we find that the book of, or, you know, the books of the Bible are actually accurate in their depiction and description of various countries, governments, political situations, uh, even ge uh, geography. Uh, it finds itself to be true in all of those areas, but then it surpasses that and reveals things about the supernatural world, things that we cannot see and cannot confirm with our senses, the existence and ministry of angels, the existence and ministry of of God and, and existing in eternal Trinity, right? We're not going to go out and, you know, scientifically test that out and, and confirm those facts. They're revealed quite simply from the only source that would know them. That's God himself. So the extent of biblical revelation and the ease with which it moves from clear, confirmable historical facts for which we have much confirmation all the way through to things that we would never have known or seen apart from that revelation is a true miracle of God's working. Mm. Amen. Um, so uh, th this is something that we oftentimes get embarrassed about, but I think we should be absolutely overjoyed about, right? Sometimes when we're talking about supernatural things, things that go beyond the pale of our observable, confirmable kind of scientific uh, inquiry, uh, we we will say, oh, well, you know, we don't want to talk about that. But the truth is that that should be the greatest uh, courage or a courage point for us because we are able to share something that is only known by revelation because is it is because it is revealed by the God who knows it all, who knows all, who sees things clearly and wants us to understand it in place. Amen. Uh, uh, so as we as we move forward, uh, march forward in this idea, uh, the next is is an interesting way of thinking about evidence. I suppose evidence is uh, it's important that we don't talk about proof because these aren't logical proofs. These are just lines of evidence that help us understand why we can trust in the Bible. And one of them is the influence and in publication of the Bible. As you mentioned, we have over two thousand early copies of of the scriptures of the New Testament scriptures. We have uh, thousands of complete biblical texts going back and text families. And in fact, the most difficult thing in um, studying through you know, textual criticism is wading through the incredible amount of evidence we have. I mean, it's not deciding if this text or this text is most accurate. It's which one of these 1,500 texts is most accurate. It's a tremendous blessing to have so much evidence. And yet that all in light of the fact that the Bible has been under greater uh, persecution or attack than any other book in the world. People going around, governments going around trying to burn copies, trying to remove them from the hands of the people, right? On into the Reformation, which we celebrate around October 31st Reformation Day the bringing of the word of God to people of the word of the God to of God to the people to us was highly opposed by those satanic forces that wanted to keep it locked up and locked away keep the truth of the word of God away from the people of of God but God simply would not allow it and now it is easily the most public uh public publicized published book, thank you, published book in all the world. And you can find a Bible in nearly every language on every continent and in nearly every country, regardless of the attitude of that country to Christianity. It is a remarkable uh, scope of influence, isn't it? Oh yeah, no doubt. I I, I love uh, that old poem. <clears throat> 
Uh, and in fact, I memorized it, it years ago that just, uh, just it brings chill, it, it you know brings uh, goosebumps to me every time I think about it in, in terms of the influence of God's word. And it goes like this. I stood beside the blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring, the vespers chime. And looking in upon the floor, I saw old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all those hammers so? Ah, just one, said he. Tis the anvil that wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought of the anvil of God's word. Though for centuries critics' blows have rained upon, the anvil still remains. It's the hammers that are gone. Amen. I love that. Wow, that's tremendous. And exactly the case, right? As the most outspoken critics of the Bible are oftentimes simply forgotten by history, and if so, remembered with the funny footnote that they were <laughs> absolutely incorrect. And it's interesting to me which attacks upon the Word of God are socially intriguing at a given time in history. And then a few generations shows that those attacks were totally useless. So the enemy just moves on to some other point of attack, right? Yeah, and people have short memories too, you know. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I love, uh, again, our priority is the Bible. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, science, uh, as my good friend Russ Miller says, is a Christian's best friend because proper science uh, true evidentiary science, not bought and paid for biased science, but real science, proves the Bible uh, every time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, another thing that helps us to to trust in the Bible is its subject matter, right? I mean, to think about, and I've I've spent a lot of time with ancient Jewish literature and in, in kind of the pseudo-epigraphic works, as well as in, you know, the... Um, ancient Babylonian flood epics and and various other uh, great ancient works of poetry as well as the you know the, all the Greek mythology and the great writing that came out of that and it's really fascinating uh, to note that most of it is functionally pretty worthless <laughs> I mean it doesn't give you much meaningful insight as to how to live truly and live productively in this world. And yet, when it comes to the Word of God, everything that it reveals about the character of God is right now valuable today. Everything it reveals about the moral standard under which we live is right now punchy, you know, a, a potent and applicable today. Mm -hmm. That It's just every page still has such uh, applicability and power in spite of the fact that it's, you know, thousands of years old at this point. It still speaks, right? Because that subject matter and the supreme uh, uh, nature of what it reveals to us, uh, like you, as you mentioned, you know, we, it sounds like we both read Proverbs chapter seven today, and yeah. tomorrow we'll read Proverbs <laughs> chapter eight. Why? <laughs> because every day that that wisdom from a time when people were wearing sandals, right, and and mostly, you know, much of humanity was still just on campouts all the time, and yet that wisdom still speaks to and shapes our thinking towards godly living. Yeah, I, I hope when, when I'm old, I'll never be as old as the Bible, but when I get really old, I hope I can say that I'm punchy, potent, and applicable. I love that. <laughs> that, was, that was quite the little triad there. So. <laughs> Good things come in threes, right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it, it is amazing also when we think about the Bible as literature, uh, and this is obviously uh, oftentimes a secular study, uh, but we have to note that if we were to try to pile up 
all of the biblical allusions in various uh, aspects of Western literature or even world literature, we would wind up with a whole nother, you know, Bible-sized pack just of references because it has been so influential in the way that we think and in the way that we uh, we operate in society even today, right? Statements like, I'm not my brother's keeper or... Um, you know, east of Eden and all of these other things that have affected the way that art goes. If we look at the art of the Middle Ages, right? It chiefly chose uh, biblical themes to portray important truths and realities to people. So um, this this reality that the Bible is also not surprisingly, because it is the works of work of God's hands, not just utilitarian. It's not just a list of things to do, but it's also Mac. I mean, exquisite in its beauty mm. and enchants us and captures us as we read through the poetry of, of the scripture, or as we read through Romans chapter eight and just tear up every time at the beauty of the language. And amazingly, God gave us the word in a way that it can be translated and translate well into every language which God made. That's that is a feat that not all books, and of course there are things that are 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 most clearly portrayed and some poetic beauty that is available only to those who read in the original Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Nevertheless, the beauty of the word of God transcends all languages and it, it seems to fit every receptor language and bring across this literary structure, beauty uh, that and beauty that we just cannot seem to get over as a race, as a human race, so that even atheists find themselves awestruck and many times living entire, having entire academic careers of an unbeliever just studying the wonders and magnificence of the Bible as a literary work, as the masterpiece that it is, where they just have to marvel at it. Yeah. It's pretty, wow. uh, like Howard Hendricks used to say, you know, the Bible is the only book on the planet that when you read it, it's doing something to you. You know, it's it's of that supreme character. You read any other book, you read your books or my books, we're doing something to them. But when you read the Bible, it's changing you. It's it's piercing your heart. And uh and you know, we don't have time to to dive into it, but you know, we could get into that the whole meaning of the word word and you know the 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 living incarnate word Jesus Christ and the living written word the bible and how those uh two things uh, you know go all the way back predate creation god spoke the world into existence so language predates even mankind and that's why it's so critical you know mm. Well, and it's interesting, just not to fly off on a tangent, but it is something that I find interesting and very I'm passionate about, and that is that um, God created language. It was his mode of moving ideas between intelligences, right? And so we might ask, why didn't God leave us an iPad or a video file? Or why didn't he, you know, he, let, he left us with language, written language to help us understand because that is his invented tool that has all of the capability needed for us to know all that we're meant to know of him in this life. I mean, it's yeah. not a second best option. It is the best way. Right, which is... Precisely why Satan has been targeting language uh, from the beginning. You know, he wants to destroy uh, language. He's twisting it. He's distorting it. He's, you know, multiple meanings, uh, you know, yeah. the whole political correctness. That's why Nietzsche, that famous German atheist, said, I fear we have not gotten rid of God because we still believe in grammar. And, uh, and he's right. I mean, as long as we've got language, uh, it's the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Mm. 
And, you know, the other thing that I think shows incredible, uh, the incredible character of the Bible is that it is so unprejudiced in its authority. Now, if you read most of these other ancient creation myths, you know, the yeah, the, the various ancient, ancient creation myths that people oftentimes, or just ancient uh, writings from various countries and cultures, we find that it very often pre, uh, presents its heroes, its kings in the most favorable light possible. But the Bible never seems to show such prejudice for its heroes, right? Mm-hmm. We get to learn about David and his life is man after God own, God's own heart. He lives a life of faith and also has some significant failures that mm-hmm. the Bible does nothing to hide, right? We look at Abraham and the incredible promises which God made to him and his response of faith. And then just as you blink, we find Abraham acting in ways that are at least questionable, if not downright, you know, disobedient to yeah. what God had promised him. And Peter, and, you know, I mean, we just, we see them all in all in, you know, Paul, even, uh, you know, here's a guy that was murdering Christians, and yet the grace of God enveloped him. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's a good point. It's just, yeah, to me, it's, it's very valuable, again, especially in, in kind of the world that we live in of all the political rhetoric and people trying to uh, push themselves up or claim to be someone, right, that the Bible was written by people who virtually claim to be no one, but who they were made to be by God, right? Mm. It's really mm. special and unique, especially in ancient uh, ancient literature. Um, I mean, what people, you know, there's always this conspiracy theory that the Jewish people sometime after the return from the Babylonian exile assembled or created their scriptures or they even Ezra did it, uh, right? And, and the absurdity of that, what people trying to create a history from themselves for themselves would choose to be the hopeless, helpless, faithless slaves, you know, that were released and then still were, why would they record their every error? Right. Well, because <laughs> it's the word of God, right. It wasn't designed to make us look up to the Jewish people in terms of their character and quality. They were God's sovereign choice in terms of his perfect plan. Mm. But, uh, but this isn't a book that just rah-rahs, you know, the Jewish people. It always, in fact, God is constantly reminding them that he didn't choose them because they were so great or so wonderful, but he chose them because they were least among the people to show his glory. So um, that's um, an amazing thing. But if there's one thing that really, uh, really shows the enduring uh, reality of God's work in the word. It's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know you've done quite a bit of work on um, how we can know Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And I'd just love to hear any thoughts about, you know, how Jesus appears before he appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, of course, uh, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. God eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus did not become the Son in Bethlehem uh, 2,000 years ago. It was just God's uh, self-revelation to mankind in its highest uh, highest form. In fact, uh, let me go to Hebrews 1, uh, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had purged himself, uh, but when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, uh, yeah, Jesus Christ, uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, theophanies in the Old Testament, which we consider Old Testament manifestations of the Son of God, the angel of the Lord being one of them. Um, some people think Melchizedek. I don't see Melchizedek that way. I think he was a historical priest and figure, uh, uh, so I don't take that view. But uh, but I do think uh, 
the angel of the Lord is a manifestation of Christ. And then, um, of course, people would uh, come to faith, you know, in the Old Testament, the same way they do in the New Testament. You've got to believe. Abraham believed God and was counted as righteous. See, the problem that mankind has is we're not righteous. We're all born dead in our trespasses and sins. Mm -hmm. And the righteousness that heaven demands is perfect, absolute righteousness. That's the only righteousness that's good enough. So no matter how righteously you behave, you're still going to fall short. You might be 90% righteous or 95% righteous, but that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, James says, uh, even if we stumble in the smallest part of the law, we are guilty of all. And so uh, the righteousness of God has to be given to us, and that can only happen by faith. And that's what the Bible means when it, when it speaks about no less a, a great a figure in Israel's history than Father Abraham, who himself needed to be declared righteous. He couldn't earn it. He couldn't work for it. He couldn't muster it up. Mm. He had to be given that righteousness. And uh, Genesis 15, 6 tells us by because of his faith, uh, he was declared righteous. Today, it's the same thing. Um, mm. You know, your, Jesus said, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, uh, or you'll never enter the kingdom. In fact, he goes on to say in that same uh, passage in Matthew 5, that you've got to be perfect, Matthew 5, 48. So perfect righteousness is the standard. It can only be given to us by faith alone and Christ alone. It's what the Bible calls the doctrine of imputation, uh, where we're given that righteousness so that when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sinfulness, but he sees the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. That's positional righteousness, and we are now positionally in Christ. doesn't mean we never sin, because often our practical behavior does not align with our position in Christ. Mm -hmm. But the goal for believers is for our practice to conform to our position. That's the goal. But thankfully, even when it doesn't, our eternal destiny is not based upon my practice. It's based upon my position in Christ. And so, uh, so yeah, it's uh, Jesus Christ is, uh, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He was the only one being fully human. Remember, that's the whole concept of the virgin birth, being conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he was untainted by sin, tempted in every way, just as we are, could have sinned, never did, because he's, he's God. And he uh, he lived a perfect, holy, sinless life. So therefore, since he had no sins of his own to atone for, he could atone for Brad's sins and JB's sins and the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2, 2. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he paid our sin debt, took our sins upon his shoulders, paid that penalty, and then he offers freely to all his perfect righteousness and forgiveness if we'll simply trust him for it. Amen. Well, and, and that's it. I mean, Jesus Christ is the supreme character of the Bible, the supreme person of the Bible. That is to say that it is through him that all things were created. It is he who maintains it. It is he whom uh, the Lord deigned and, and actually agreed in this in this covenant before time that he would be the one who would go to suffer and and die in order to save and redeem this, this world, right? Uh, and then ultimately, we see that this world's story won't be complete, won't be consummated until Jesus Christ takes his rightful place of the throne as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, really, this whole world exists in large part to bring glory and self-revelation of Jesus Christ and his mm. character, that, that eternal Son of God that you mentioned. I mean, from start to end, it's all about Jesus, and it brings us to this realization that he who is our hope and our Savior is also the rightful Lord and ruler of all, and we will see with our own eyes him take his place 
his rightful place and rule and reign and we will rule and reign with him and that will go on into the new heavens and the new earth where he will exist as the very son of glory all the brightness of his glory shining forth to bring uh, the, the visible light into that that new world that is yet to come jesus yeah. christ is the center of it all and, amen and, i mean and and that's a great great high point to to end this discussion on because uh with all that we see going on in israel today Mm. it's a reminder that a better day is coming. I mean, who would have thought that tiny little sliver of real estate would be so central to the world affairs? I mean, every, uh, every the nation of the eyes of every nation right now are on Israel. Imagine that. And in the same way, as you said, every eye shall see, every eye behold when he comes back, Matthew 24. Uh, and his glory is going to be so bright that in the eternal state, we won't even need a sun or, or a, or a, you know, or a temple or anything. It's just, you know, just the brightness of God's glory. So the same Jesus that provides eternal salvation is the same Jesus who's coming back first to rescue us from the great and terrible day of the Lord's wrath and the mm -hmm. tribulation period, and then ultimately to come all the way back to take, as you said, his rightful place on the throne. Now, mm -hmm. I know, Brad, we've got, there's lots more we could talk about, about the incredible a truth of God's word and the whole a concept of can we trust the Bible we hold in our hands? But man, you've given us so much great, great content here to just digest and and uh, think through. But we'll we'll definitely have you back on again. And I, I want to talk about some other. I had some ideas while you were talking of some things I want want to talk with you about if you're willing. So I'll mention that off air. But uh, but uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, my friend. Any closing thoughts? Well, uh, it's one, it's just always such a delight to be with you. And I hope you you and yours have a delightful Thanksgiving as well. My, uh, my closing thought on this is just whatever it is that we see, whatever inputs, whatever we hear, hold it up to the word of God, right? That's what we need to do. What does the word of God have to say about this? How does this uh, to be understood in light of God's wonderful word? It is trustworthy. It is truth. It is absolutely reliable in every sense of the word. Um, and so I believe we as Christians will be doing our part best as to what he's given us to do as we respond faithfully to all that he's given us to know. Amen. Praise, praise God. Well, thanks, Brad. Uh, tell the folks there at Fort Collins, hello for us. Again, you can find Brad Maston at fortcollinsbiblechurch.com or fbbiblecollege.com. Uh, don't forget about the new book, uh, Caroling to Christmas. Uh, uh, he's the general editor, and there's several contributors, all of whom I've, uh, almost all of whom, uh, most of whom I've worked with and uh, really love and can vouch for, and a great opportunity to kind of share the gospel with others and be emboldened in your faith as well as you read that book. So you can get it at amazon.com. Uh, and where was the other place they can get it, Brad? TrueGraceBooks.com. TrueGraceBooks.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again, my friend, folks. If we can do anything for you, don't hesitate to reach out at NotByWorks.org. Uh, don't forget uh, uh, the new book, Spirit of the False Prophet. Been out uh, a couple of months now. Uh, you can find that at Spirit of the False Prophet. Dot org And uh, that also makes a good Christmas gift uh, to kind of, uh, first of all, it definitely shares the gospel, but it also breaks down what's happening in the area of technology as Satan and his earthly co-conspirators seek to usher in a global technocracy and uh, setting the stage for the return of uh, the Lord. So God bless you, everyone. Have a great week, and we will talk